Well, we're going to see from the life of Job a tragedy, something that happens to a godly man that really shouldn't happen, but we live in a lost and a fallen world, and so trials and tragedies come upon both believers and unbelievers. And so, but the key to what we're going to look at this morning is the response. How do we respond to the trials in life? And so as we think about our passage this morning, I want us to think about a few questions. How would others describe our lives? How would God describe our lives? Are we living a life that stands out in this world, that stands out to God, a life that would stand out to Satan, that he would want to come after us? How do we respond when the trials come in our lives? Well, let's get to our passage this morning because we've got a lot of verses to cover in a short amount of time. But in Job chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 and going through chapter 2, verse 10, we begin by seeing Job's character and wealth in the first five verses. And then we're going to see Satan's first accusation. And his accusation is not just against Job, but it's ultimately against God. God, are you worthy of worship without giving back to people? And then we're going to see the trials and the tribulations that Satan puts upon Job. And then we're going to see his response. And then Satan turns up the heat in the next section in chapter 2. And we're going to see his second accusation, the second set of trials, and Job's response in in verse 10 of chapter 2. So let's get right into the passage. It says in Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. So there was this man, Job, and we see some characteristics about Job, what his character was like. And look at how he's described there. First, he's described as blameless. And blameless doesn't mean that he was without sin, but whenever he sinned, he dealt with it. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. He was also upright, which has the idea of honesty, that you can walk upright because you don't have to worry and don't have to worry about what you said to other people, teaching and talking in in an honest manner. And then he's fearing God, and that doesn't mean that he's scared of God, that God is some judge that is waiting to to come down on him, but that has the idea that he's in awe of God. He understands who God is as the creator, the sustainer, our redeemer, our friend, our comforter, our counselor. He is almighty God, and he is in awe of God. You know, Uh, Oswald Chambers says the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Job 28, 28 says about fear, it says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Job is described as doing both of these things. He is fearing God, he is a wise person, and he is understanding because he turns away from evil. Well, let's see what else he's described as by the author, beginning in verse 2. He said, seven sons and three daughters were born to him. You know, children are a gift of the Lord, and Job was blessed with a quiver full. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men in the east. 
So notice how he's described here. He has all of these worldly possessions and he's the greatest man in the East. But we're going to see how quickly that changes in just a few verses. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So we not only see that Job is a godly man that's worried about his own character, but he's also worried about his family as well. And You know, that's true for us. We need to worry about the people who are around us. We need to make sure that they understand the message of salvation and that by faith alone in Christ alone, they can have eternal life. You know, Paul says, for I delivered you as of first importance. The most important message that we can get across to people is the message of Jesus Christ, what he did for all mankind, that he died on the cross paying for sin. He arose from the grave conquering death. And the good news is, is that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's not our goodness, our works, our righteousness, but by faith alone, in Christ alone, that we get eternal life. But Job wasn't just concerned with their eternal life, but he was also concerned with their fellowship with God. And we've been talking about in grow groups just a few weeks ago about priests and the great high priest, Jesus Christ. And we talked about what priests do. They offer sacrifices. And we said that, you know, when Moses come, he set up a sacrificial system um, and, and entrusted the Levites to that, to, to be the priests. But before that, there were sacrifices that were made. God back in the garden made a sacrifice and and took the skin and covered Adam and Eve for their sins. And you see that Abraham, or um, that Noah, whenever he came off of the boat, you know, he made sacrifices. Cain and Abel offered sacrifices to God. Well, in this time, the time that, that Job lived was the patriarchal time. It was before the law had been put in place. And at that point in time, the fathers were the priest of the family. And so that's why he's offering up this sacrifice to make sure that they stay in fellowship with the father. So he has spiritual concern for his family. He actually has it all. What have we seen that Job has? He has it all. He has God. He has family. He has an abundance of wealth. He looks good both from a spiritual perspective and from a worldly perspective. So how could anything bad happen to someone like this? Well, we're about to see, but what we're about to see is something that Job had no idea of what was going on. We get it in the scripture, but Job had no idea. And so many times in life, whenever we go through trials and tribulations, we want to know why. Why, God? Why me? Why is this situation happening? And we just want to know why, why, why? But God, his, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. He works all things together for good. So we don't have to know the answer why. And, and Job never gets the answer why. And even at the end of the book, you know, God just goes back to Job and tells him, what am, what am I like? Who am I? And Job says, that's enough for me. I just trust you, God, in whatever 
you have going on. And that's the way we are to respond to the trials and the tribulations in life. We are to trust God in those situations. Well, let's see what's about to happen to Job, and it is not good. Look with me at verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Like God didn't already know. Remember, he's all-knowing. He just questions Job, like, where did you come from? And Job is also all-powerful. And this is something that, that uh, Satan probably should have thought about whenever, Job, whenever God brings up Job. But look at what Satan does. He answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. You know, First Peter describes describes Satan as a prowling lion, someone seeking to whom he can devour. And that's what he was doing. He was roaming about on the earth, seeking someone to devour. And the Lord said to, said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, there may be a lot of things that I want from God, but this is not one of them. I don't want God to bring me out before Satan and say, have you considered my servant Brian? But I don't think I have to worry about that because look at how Job is described by God. He said, for there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. You see, when man described described Job, he described him in two ways. He gave his godly characteristics and he gave all of his worldly possessions that he has. God just describes Job by his godly characteristics because God cares about who we are on the inside. He doesn't care about all the stuff that we have. He cares about how we're living for him righteously and godly in the present age. That's what he cares about us. And so he gives these godly characteristics You know, Warren Wiersbe says, reputation is what people think they are. Character is what God knows we are. And God knew the character of Job. He knew his character. He knew how he would act and react. That's why he could lift him up and say, have you considered my servant Job? God knows the character. He knows him because he created him. So how would we... How would man and God describe us? That's the question for us. How would man and God describe you and me? Would he describe us with these godly characteristics? How do we describe ourselves? Do we describe ourselves in godly characteristics whenever we talk to other people? Or is it that I'm the father of so-and-so or that um, my job is here and all of those things? We don't need to worry about the worldly things. We need to worry about the eternal perspectives, the godly characteristics that we have in our lives. Are we living a life that stands out to God? Are we living a life that catches the attention of Satan? Because we're going to see here in this next verses that Job definitely, or Satan definitely knows who Job is. Look with me at verse nine. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Notice Satan knows full well who Job is and he thinks he knows what he's like. 
Satan says, why wouldn't Job fear you? You've given him an abundance of everything. You've protected him from me all of this time. He doesn't worship you because of who you are, but he worships you because of what you give to him, the protection that you give to him, the the worldly possessions that you give to him. In other words, you pay him to love you and to worship you. How about you and me? Why do we come to church on a Sunday morning? Why are we here? Are we here to worship our, the living God? Or are we here because of what I've heard from many people? I come to church on Sunday mornings because it makes my week go a lot better. Now that's probably true because you get in fellowship with other believers, you get into God's word, and it does make your life better. But is that the purpose and the reason that we come to church on a Sunday morning is to have a better week or is it to worship the living God for who he is and what he's done? He sent his son so that we could have life, eternal life, an eternal relationship with him. So he deserves our worship. We are to worship him out of love. Well, Satan goes on and he says in verse 11, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he'll surely curse you to his face. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Satan says, you take away all of his prosperity and he'll curse you to his face. And I can just see the omniscient God smiling as he tells him, all that he has is in your power. I know who Job is. I know how he's going to react. And also notice that I'm all powerful. I'm the one who's in control here. You can take his stuff, but Do not put forth your hand on him. So God is in control. He's all powerful, not only of people, but also of Satan. So you can take his stuff, but don't harm him. Let's see the trials, the things that come upon upon, uh, Job, beginning in verse 13. It says, now on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. And they slew the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and have consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, also another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons, your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they died and I alone have escaped to tell you. Wow. He went from having everything, having possessions, having children to having no possessions and no children in just a matter of seconds while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking. You see, Satan doesn't play fair. God told Satan he couldn't touch his body, but I bet you he felt beat up from one end of his head to the bottom of his feet with all the news that he had received. Job found out that he had lost all of his possessions, all of his children in a matter of seconds. 
well, what happens on this side of heaven is not fair. Things can go south in a hurry, but how we react is the key. And this is where we see who we really are. Are we people who fold, who fall to the blows of Satan or are we people who trust God and who have character and integrity? Well, let's see how Job responded as I think this is one of the key points of the entire book. How do we react to the trials of life? Look with me at verse 20. Then Job arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell to the ground and he worshiped. He was grieving. He showed this grief in that he tore his robe. He shaved his head, but then he did the opposite of what we would expect him to do, of what many of us would do. Rather than going out and cursing God and blaming God, he, what did Satan want him to do? He wanted him to curse God, but what does Job do? He falls to his knees and he worships. He worships God. He didn't blame God, although we will see in the next verse that he realizes that it's God that allowed it to happen. Now, God didn't make it happen, but he allowed it to happen. Look at verse 21. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, he realized that all he had came from God. It was all his on loan from God. Those those possessions were not his possessions, but God had allowed him to use them for his honor and his glory while he was here on this earth. Those children were not his children. They were God's children for him to train up and to care for until God was ready to take them back to be with him, to be with him in paradise. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us that we are not to grieve as those who have no hope. We have hope. Because we know that one day, that whenever our loved ones pass, that we'll be able to see them again if they've put their faith in Jesus Christ. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then we have hope. The hope of the, of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we'll always be together. And so this is the hope that we have. Now, while we're here on this earth, we're going to have trials. But when they come, we need to remember that God is sovereign. He has a plan and we have to trust his plan and continue to worship him. We don't want to pull away from God. And you know, that's what a lot of people want to do. They want to blame God. They want to pull away from God. But why would you pull away from God when he is our source of strength and comfort? We need to draw near to God. We need to be in fellowship with God. We need to understand who God is and that he loves us with an everlasting, unconditional love, that he's a faithful God that we've seen in the past in the life of those who are in the Bible and in our lives in the past. I guarantee you, we can go back to past experiences and see that God has been faithful. And that's what we need to do. We need to draw near to God as our source of strength and comfort so that it can be said of us as it is said of Job in verse 22. It says, through it all, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. You see, God is not to blame. God did not do this to you. God did this for you. 
Think about that. God did not do this to you. He did this for you, for you to grow, for you to be a light to others. He is working all things together for good. There is a purpose in what he's doing. God did this to me, shows selfishness. Why did you do this to me? Why me of all people? Are you the center of the world? No, but that's selfishness. God, why did you do this to me? I don't deserve this. Job definitely did not deserve this. We've seen how he was described by man and God. He didn't deserve this, but it was happening to him. God does this for me as selfishness, but God did this for, or God did this to me as selfishness. God did this for me shows character and integrity. What do you want me to get out of this? How do you want to use me through this? James 1 says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God allows us to go through trials to grow us and to mature us and to bring us to maturity in Christ. So now I realize this is a lot easier to say, but harder to do. But It is what we saw from Job, a man who lived many years ago, a man who lived without all of the scripture that we have. He was one of the the patriarchs. He was at the beginning of time. He didn't have all of scripture written and see all the lives of these people and how um, they went through trials and tribulations and God brought them through. All he had was his life circumstances and maybe a few things from the past that he could rely on. And he trusted God in the trial of life. He worshiped God. He realized that all he had had been given to him by God. They weren't his possessions. And so if God decided to take them away, blessed be the name of the Lord. What are you gonna do with me now, God? That's all I care about. That's what we want for our lives as well. And if we do that, then what's Satan gonna do? Well, let me just attack a little harder. And that's what he does to Job as well. We'll go very quickly through this next section, but look at chapter two, beginning at verse one. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. Notice, how did God describe Job before the trial? In the exact same way that he describes him after the trial, going through the trial. He is the same guy, but he adds into here. Look at what he goes on to say in verse three. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. See, there was no cause for the things that happened to Job. But God allowed them to happen. Why did he allow them to happen? He allowed them to happen because it gives us information that God is faithful even to the end. Because if you get to the end of this book, you see that God is faithful to Job. And sometimes he's faithful to us in this life and sometimes we have to wait till the life to come for to see God's faithfulness. But God is always faithful. So he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. He didn't curse me to my face like you thought he would do, Satan. He didn't curse me to my face. He didn't do 
what you thought he would do. What did he do? He held fast to his integrity. Men and women of integrity are hard to find these days, but men and women of integrity, no matter what life throws at them, they worship God through the good times and the bad, even when the bad times come without cause. But as Satan does, he comes up with another excuse, another accusation, why Job still holds fast to his integrity, why he still fears God, why he's still turning away from evil. And look at verse four, as Satan turns up the heat. Satan answered the Lord and says, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. However, you put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he'll curse you to his face. He didn't curse you because you took away his, fa- his, his stuff and his kids. He can gain more stuff. He can have more kids because he's whole and healthy. But you take away his health and he'll curse you to his face. So the Lord said to Satan, verse six, so the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your power only. Spare his life. Again, God allows Satan to attack Job, but this time, He also allows him to take his health, which causes even worse effects. And again, God limits Satan's reach. Only spare his life. Satan can only do what God allows him to do. Well, let's see the trials. Verse seven, then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. He's no longer seated at the gate. He is out sitting among the ashes. He's at the trash dump. Remember earlier on, where was he at? In verse one, chapter, three, or chapter one, verse three, he was, he was the greatest of all the men of the East. But by chapter two, verse eight, he is an outcast. He's sitting in the trash dump. And what about his wife? You know, why did Satan not take his wife? He took his kids, he took all of his stuff. Why did he not take his wife? I think God, or I think Satan had a little backup plan. He knew how he had used women in the past, people that are near and dear to to their husbands. And, And so he's used women in the past to influence their, their husbands or their, or their men. And he did it back in the garden with Adam and Eve. Eve showed, showed Adam this, this fruit. And look how luscious it is. It'll make us wise. Let's just eat of it. And what about Sarah with Abraham? You know, th- this thing is it, just not working out. Just take my maidservant. And here with Job, what does his wife do? Look at verse nine. She had gone through all of these trials and tribulations with him. But look at what she says. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? God had said he's a man of integrity. He holds fast his integrity. And look at how she incites him. Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. What did Satan want Job to do? Back in chapter one, verse 11, he will surely curse you to your face. In chapter two, verse five, he will curse you to your face. Satan had a reason for keeping his wife alive so that he could try to entice and and to tempt Job to curse God, to do the one thing that, that 
Satan wanted Job to do. He wanted him to curse God and he tried to use her as well. Come on, do it. You have nothing to live for. Our life is over. You don't want to live like this. Just curse God and die. But just as he wasn't willing to give in to Satan's first scheme, he wasn't willing to give in to his second either. So he responded to his wife in verse 10. Look at this. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Now, I'm not going to speak to the first part of that because I hold my marriage too high to, to get into that. But I think the important part is there at the end. But shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? You see, God can use both the good and the bad things in life to teach us and to grow us. If it were not for the bad things of this world, if it were not for the sin in this world, how would we understand God's grace, God's love, and God's mercy? If everything on this world was good, and there was no sin, then how would we know of God's grace and God's love and God's mercy? He can use all things, good and bad, to bring about his ultimate plan. He works all things together for good. And I love how this verse ends. It says, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. He never cursed God to his face as Satan thought he would as Satan implored him and wanted him to do and even enticed his wife to get him to do it, he did not sin with his lips. Job did what God wanted him to do, what God knew he would do. Job held fast his integrity, even through all the negative circumstances that Satan had already put him through. The loss of wealth, servants, children, health, and now his wife turns on him saying, curse God and die? He reacted, he responded as the man he was, a blameless man. How will you and I respond to the trials of life? So what have we seen this morning? We have seen Job, a blameless, upright, God-fearing man who turned away from evil, lose all of his possession along with all of his children and his health. But whenever it came down to it, he responded like the man he was, blameless, he chose not to curse, but rather to accept whatever it is that God had for his life and to worship him through it all. Whenever our lives seem out of control, we must remember that God is in control. Whenever our lives seem like they are out of control, we must remember that God is in control. Let's think about some applications this morning. Let us live lives that stand out in this world. Let's don't wait to get our lives right until the trials come because then it's, we're behind the eight ball and it's next to impossible to do. But let's live right right now. Let's live a blameless life. Let's live a life that is upright, that is honest, that we can look people in the face. Let's live a life that is fearing God, that we're in awe of God, understanding who he is and what he's done and then let's turn away from evil so that whenever the time comes and the trials come in our lives, we can respond to the trials like Job did in his life. We can worship God, worship him for who he is, worship him for what he has done, worship him for making the way of salvation available not only to us, but to our friends and to our family as well. 
worship Him, that He's always with us, that He never leaves us or forsakes us. What should we fear? Love Him because He is an everlasting, unchangeable God. So we can worship Him even in the trials. We don't sin. We don't sin by by cursing God. We don't sin by blaming God for the trials. Remember, He didn't do this to you. He did this for you. What can you get out of the trial that you're going through? And D, let's hold fast our integrity. Let's be men and women who are like Job, who hold fast to our integrity no matter what life throws at us. No, it is true that we're going to have trials in this life. Jesus said it was so. I believe it was so. I've experienced it so. And many of you may be experiencing it now. But when the trials come, the question is, How are we going to respond? You know, in that song that we sang today and in the words of Job, he gives and he takes away. He gives and takes away. But my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. You see, the choice is up to us how we're going to respond. When he gives and takes away, when he gives and takes away, what is our heart going to choose to say? My prayer is for you, and for me, that we say, blessed be.